when I first started this company, it was definitely a build it like they used to, you know, and that was kind of my mentality when I started the company and started creating products is I wanted to have that be known in the, in the hunting industry as the company that's like, holy shit, this is so overbuilt. I mean, it's overkill, but I'm never going to need to buy another one. The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Thanks for tuning in again this morning. I'm Sam Weaver, today's host of Tipsy Tuesday, a short segment covering rockslide.com tidbits, hunting news from across the West, with just a sprinkling of tips and tricks to keep you well-informed for your next adventure. Today's Tipsy's all about do-it-yourself gear making. If you've ever sat around thinking a few simple changes would make a huge upgrade, or about that piece of gear you've always wished existed, keep listening. Today's guest is Tyler Kath, founder of T&K Hunting Gear. Tyler is a U.S. Marine veteran, spent time doing law enforcement, and now he's fallen into a position that he really loves, full-time gear making at T&K. Tyler has never even sewn a piece of gear when he started thinking, there must be a better way. We'll hear that story and his thoughts on how you too can craft gear that exactly fits your need. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Hey, thank you for having me on. First things first, give us a rundown of how a guy with no sewing experience started a custom show shop. It kind of really started when I was doing uh, private military overseas. I started kind of researching things that I wanted to do. After I was done with my stints, I was kind of getting sick of deploying overseas and uh, spending a majority of my younger 20s in uh, third world countries. I started doing some research on, uh, I I first kind of started looking at uh, doing tactical gear and it kind of just clicked with within me to, you know, I've kind of got an engineering type brain and I like designing things. And um, so while I was overseas, I actually started purchasing fabrics. I started purchasing a sewing machine, kind of uh, impulse buying, uh, you know, to to kind of create this, you know, had this, you know, uh, kind of thought process of of creating a a company uh, to make uh, things for the the military, for law enforcement, you know, et cetera. So that's kind of what got me into the position where I am now. And uh, so when I got back from overseas, it was uh, a big learning curve. I didn't know how to thread a sewing machine. I didn't know how to change a bobbin. And of course, my mom had been sewing for, you know, since she was little. And uh, so I kind of it really was self-taught from there of, of you know, how to, you know, basically operate a sewing machine. I didn't take any courses or anything like that. It was a lot of learn and, and make mistakes and, and uh, kind of went from there. Yeah, I think that's the great thing about a sewing machine for those listeners that never use one. You know, if you make a mistake, as long as you notice it pretty quick, you can just go back and unstitch it. It's not a, a giant deal. Kind of learning how to how to stitch and, you know, I, lo- I watched a lot of actually YouTube videos and kind of taught myself 
good practices from other sewing machine operators with many years of experience. And a lot of it, if you are a do-it-yourself person, uh, you know, I don't like paying people to do things even around my house. I'm always watching videos and trying to learn. You know, it's definitely a learnable skill and it is not as hard as one would probably think it is. So if you've got a little bit of a creative mind and you've got attention to detail. It's something that you can definitely learn. And, you know, a sewing machine is not an airplane. You know, there's only a few components to it and really kind of learning how to do when I first started, just learning how to do straight line stitching, how to learn how to do box stitches, locking my stitches, you know, stuff like that. And for those that are listening, if you've ever welded, a sewing machine is fairly similar in that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but there's one thing at the end of doing it right. And, and you can only get there from practice. I kind of scroll on Rockslide a lot of the do-it-yourself forums, and it's kind of cool to see, you know, people taking that leap and developing, you know, their own products or modifying products that they've purchased. And a lot of the hardcore frog fabrics, your Kaduras, your nylons, your webbings, a lot of that stuff, you're going to, you're going to have a hard time sewing on a home sewing machine. But there are industrial sewing machines that you can buy even used or buy new. Ours are about, they're Juki uh, 1541. So brand new, they're about $1,500. So they're not the cheapest uh, sewing machine, but we're using ours for uh, production sewing. So we want, you know, something that's going to be reliable. Every really good sewing machine operator I know has been self-taught. They've taught themselves how to do this skill. You know, a lot of guys, that's the biggest thing you need to do is just jump into it. If it's something that you're interested in doing, whether it's making your own products or modifying existing products is is just to kind of dive in. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I actually have quite a few threads on the do-it-yourself I built a lot of stuff. Growing up, I always had somebody that would make something or fix something or mend something. You know, in the military, that you can always go off post and there's always a couple people that are really just amazing and can do anything. You know, after I got married, my wife didn't sew. So if I wanted something, I had to figure out how I was going to do it myself. I'm kind of like you. I just had trial and error, got a machine, uh, built some stuff. And I was like, this machine sucks. Got a different machine, you know? And I think you can go down a rabbit hole for sure. But to get started to just sewing simple products, projects, uh, you don't really need that great of a machine. You can get a regular consumer machine off Amazon. You know, I think I have a a Singer. It's a newer plastic one. It's really not that heavy duty, but it'll sew two or three things of Cordura together. So I don't, yeah. you know, if, if it'll sew a pair of pants, it'll sew for most of the stuff that we want to carry around with us anyways. Like you said, there's cheaper options out there. There's used options out there. But that's the biggest thing is, you know, starting off with even the bare minimums. I mean, you don't need uh, the expensive, I definitely don't need the expensive machinery that we have. My first machine was an industrial sewing machine. So I, I've never really done the home sewing machine route. I've always done the industrial sewing machine, which every sewing machine, they have different components and different ways of how they operate. But I, I would certainly agree with you on that, that you don't need anything super expensive. Um, it just really depends on what type of products you're going to be making, how thick of fabrics you're going to be going through. I mean, there's definitely different echelons of, of quality and, and what you may need or may not need. And, you know, I also tell people that you guys can contact me anytime to, if you've got certain questions of what you're wanting to do, whether you want to, you know, start a company or just do just regular gear modifications. And we have a lot of experience with certain materials. And, you know, I just saw a post the other day of foam. And, and stuff like that. We use all that different types of stuff. So we have a lot of sourcing capabilities or 
You know, maybe, hey, I want a couple G hooks. We've always been good about guys reaching out and we don't even charge them anything to purchase from us. Just ask guys to pay shipping. But a lot of stuff, you know, you've got to buy in bulk too when it comes to materials and and different uh, buckles and plastics and stuff like that. But yeah, I I definitely want to uh, explore more of the do-it-yourself thread. And, you know, if we can help people enjoy doing that aspect of it as well. So... Well, I think for people that don't know, when they hear 1000 Cordura or 500 Cordura, they're not all created equal either. There's different grades of quality there too. And that's something to be aware of depending on what your needs are and and where you are in the process. 500D Cordura, I mean, when we talk about the difference between the two, of course, 1000D is, is heavier. It's not heavier by much. We've done, we've done tests on our gear that have made a 500D and and a 1000D Cordura. I mean, it's not a huge, huge difference, but it's definitely a heavier material. It's more durable, but 500, I mean, it's overkill because I mean, 500D uh, by itself is a super durable water resistant material. Another thing that you have to look at between 500D and 1000D Kader is camo patterns. So camo patterns like multi-cam always print on 500D Kader a lot better. 1000 is definitely overkill. It's more expensive than 500D Kadura. We use all 1000D Kadura in our facility, except for we use a lot of frog skin camos and, you know, different camouflages that don't necessarily come in 1000D and we will use 500D. But um, for the most part, we use 1000D in our facility. Onyx Hunt is the number one GPS hunting app in the industry. And one reason they're leading is because they're continually providing updates to the Onyx Hunt app. Updates like the new Onyx in-dash navigation suite. From the time you slide into the seat of your vehicle, viewing Onyx Hunt with CarPlay and Android Auto allows you to easily flow from Onyx to the road in front of you, ensuring you know exactly where you are and how to get where you're heading. Want directions to a certain point in the Onyx Hunt app, but don't want to keep glancing at your phone? Use the Navigate To feature to navigate to your saved waypoints. This is true off-road navigation for hunters. You can now use the Onyx Hunt app hands-free and have access to your map markups, public-private boundaries, routing, offline maps, and more. Do it all from the seat of your truck. If you're ready to make the jump, save 20% by using the code ROCKCAST at checkout. Yeah, and we were talking before we started recording, uh, me and Tyler both in the military, and it seems like when you come from that kind of a background, two is one and one is none, and you better be building it tough because the next guy is going to destroy it. And I think that really sets your mindset of how you look at finished products and whatnot. The durability is definitely something we notice right off from thinner materials. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's that's an important thing to kind of notice too is that we build our products to our saying is you know we've got a lifetime guarantee in all of our products but a great warranty is one you don't need to use you know we do build our products with overkill part of this company was definitely a build it like they used to you know and that was kind of my mentality when i started the company and started creating products is i wanted to have that be known in the in the hunting industry as the company that's like holy shit this is so overbuilt i mean it's overkill but 
I'm never going to need to buy another one. You know, if you look at any of our products, we have triple stitching everywhere and, and, uh, double stitch, bar tacked. And, you know, the materials we use or even the, the webbing we use, we use, uh, a little bit more expensive webbing than some of our competitors within the, the hunting industry because we like the way the look and finish is. For us, we've gotten to the point to where, um, we've kind of, really find the materials that we want to use in our product. I know for me that I found that thread, you know, sounds so simple, but they're they're light years apart, not only in durability, but how well it runs through the machine. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're definitely not created equal. Do you have like a recommendation on that front? Maybe we use a number 69 thread, which is going to be your standard thread as far as sewing, Kadura webbing, anything like that. You definitely, I would not suggest going below that. As far as how they're going to run within a home sewer, sewing machine, that is some testing that you'd have to do. Whatever machine you have, you're going to have to figure out what the limitations of that machine are. When you're researching machines, you definitely want to look at what are the needle sizes. You know, a standard good needle size, you know, for Kaduras, you're looking at like a 16, 18, 20, somewhere in that range. So you definitely want to look at your machinery now. What, what about webbing and what? Now how do they classify? What are we looking for when we're looking at, at webbing? So the biggest thing is that um, when people think of mill spec, they think of like, oh, oh, it's a joke within us veterans, right? Military spec must mean shit. But that's, that's actually not true. Um, it is true that the military uses lower bidders, um, and that's where you get a lot more sloppy sewing work. Um, because they're always looking for the cheap option. So the mill spec is is simply just saying this webbing has been tested for certain breaks, for certain everything, and it's it's met government spec to be used for military gear, law enforcement gear, all that stuff. So a lot of that mill spec stuff is very compliant, made in the USA. And it's just like zippers. It's just like anything else. Uh, buckles. You definitely want to stick with more of the made in USA stuff like Nexus buckles um, for webbing, the mill spec type stuff, solution dyed Kadura webbing or just nylon webbing that's mill spec. There's a difference between the two as far as what the look is. When you're kind of looking at different things uh, for do-it-yourself projects, I mean, if you're one of these guys that's like, hey, I want to buy good webbing. I want to buy good thread. I'll just kind of show them out some some companies to look for if you're looking for do-it-yourself materials. And some of the people that are listening to this podcast may have already heard of them, but uh, Brookwoods is a good company to look for, and they're in Colorado. You can buy low quantities of Kadura webbings. They have a lot of military spec, made in the USA, very compliant components. You can also look at John Tay. That's J-O-N-T-E-Y.com. And they sell a lot of very compliant made in the USA components as far as webbing, binding, thread, any of those types of things. Uh, a lot of those materials are different distributors, but they're a lot of the same materials that companies like, um, I don't want to name any company names on here, but any well-known made in USA company. I know you kind of touched on it just a second ago, but what about zippers? What what are we looking for in zippers? And what about zipper sizes? I know that confuses a bunch of people. You know, do we want a five? Do we want an eight? Do we need a 10? Yeah, it definitely depends on what you're doing and what your application is. I mean, on, a, on the back of our bino harness, we have a number five YKK zipper. Now, that is 
just really a point where it's like a little pocket. It's, you know, it's tucked away against your chest when you're using it. There's not going to be a lot of dirt or anything like that in there. So we have never had any issues with that type of stuff for smaller type pockets. Now, if you're making duffel bags where, you know, the main zipper, where there's mud, debris getting into it, anything like that, um, you definitely want to use a number eight or a number 10 zipper where we know it's going to be exposed more to the elements. We'll use um, a bigger zipper, a number eight or a number 10. We use mostly number 10s. Any type of area where it's going to be high stress, it's going to be exposed to a lot of just wear and tear or moisture or um, debris, especially. Um, you definitely want to use a higher caliber larger zipper um you know like our dope kits that we make or toiletry bags for for some folks we use a number five zipper because toiletry bags you know you don't you're not going to be constantly using that zipper back and forth you know you're gonna be pulling that out maybe in the morning at night when we think of it it's like okay number 10's maybe a little overkill but sometimes we do overkill things so We'll put number 10 zippers on things that probably don't need number 10 zippers, but that's because our philosophy is we don't want it to break. So if you're looking for a zipper that is not going to break, your number 10 zipper is your zipper. I don't even think we've had a number 10 zipper break. Number eight is a good thick zipper that you're probably not going to have a lot of issues with. Now, when you get to your number fives and down, you know, your smaller zippers, your Basically, the smaller it is, your increase for you know uh, breakability is on on pretty much any of that type of stuff because it's just the breakability. You know, it's going to be a complete pain in the ass if you use a number five on a duffel bag and you're zipping and unzipping that up all the time, and there's leaves and there's dirt that gets into it. You put it in the back of your side by side. It's going to be more of a pain in the ass trying to fix fix that bag where the zipper broke than just putting a good zipper on it in the first place. One of the things I wanted to hit on, I built a, a floorless shelter and I don't know, it was like 10 yards of seal nylon or something. It was like a crazy project that I undertook. Link that post in the show notes there and you guys can check it out. But I could tell you if I can build it, you can build it too. It was just a horrendous amount of sewing and I learned so much from a project of that scope, that size. But what I want to talk about with you, Tyler, is when we when we have a project in our mind, when you sew something, you kind of have to reverse engineer it of how you're going to put it together because you have to sew certain pieces first and then sew on the next piece. And if you've never done it before, that's kind of hard to think about. I don't know if you kind of want to walk us through of how you would approach something like that or maybe like some simple projects where you could get started and then work your way into something else maybe. One of the big things that you can do if you're looking at just getting familiar with sewing and sewing things, there's different patterns that you can buy online. Sewing patterns or like a duffel bag pattern for beginners where you can get it and it has all the pieces drawn out for you and you're following the instructions on how to do it. And I tell people to do that because a lot of those patterns are, they're, they're trademarked by companies, but they're for your do-it-yourselfers to really figure out how to operate the sewing machine. So now you talk about shelters, you talk about backpacks and stuff. That's like, you know, extensive sewing type stuff for people that have been doing it for years and years and years that understand how the small pro products get 
put together. So once you figure out how the small stuff gets put together, that's when you can kind of let your imagination run with the bigger stuff. But you know, you always want to start with the small stuff first, learn how to do like a little duffel bag, you know, learn how to sew that and put it together and how the sewing machine interacts with certain angles, with certain ways you do things. And I think that's, that's the most successful way to kind of not only learn how to sew, but learn how products get put together. And once you learn how products get put together, then you can start formulating your own kind of templates because you kind of start understanding how templates work. So that's not a bad idea to do something like that, to become familiar first with the small stuff, you know, before you take on the big, big, big stuff. Because I see a lot of do-it-yourselfers are like, well, I'm going to try to make a backpack. And it's like, well, have you ever sewn anything before? I mean, you're kind of you're going to expert level 10 before you, you know, you're, you got to learn how to ride the bike before you put the training wheels off. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I, I think when I first started building some, I started building some pull outs. There you and, go. You know, yep. it was, it was, uh, definitely a fabric has two sides to it mm-hmm. and you know, you have to sew the zipper on the right side and you have to fold it in and there's different stitches to use, but there's also different kind of, you know, you could straight stitch two pieces together. You can fold one side over yep. and you can fold both sides over. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways to get a extra strength in your seam that you need. And I agree with you. You just kind of got to go through it and, and work through that process. Yeah. I think a, a lot of it is just your mess ups too. You're going to have to dive into it and you're going to learn just like hunting or anything else is, you know, you got to learn from your mistakes, but the only way to start learning is to get out there and do it and figure, you know, and, and learn from the things, um, where you make mistakes because once you start constructing and I'm glad you said pullouts because that is a great, great little small item to learn how your fabrics get put together, how to put something inside out, how to put a zipper on something and really, and it's going to be super frustrating for people that haven't sewn a lot, but something simple like that will eventually, and then you can advance as you go up. So maybe you start at pullouts, then you want to make like a small duffel bag. And then maybe you want to make like a little small, simple backpack, making those simple, small items really helps with making the big, big items. You know, one of our best sewers, uh, the only thing she had made before she started with us two and a half years ago was a pillowcase. That is the only thing she had made on a sewing machine. But she started with the small stuff, learning how to do straight line stitches, how to box stitch, how to reverse stitch, how to sew things inside out, how to bind things, and how to put zippers on. And eventually it builds you up to where you're super confident with the bigger type items because you start figuring out how these fabrics get put together. Well, and I think this brings us back full circle. The nice thing about a pullout is I got one that's the exact size of my game bags. I got one that's the exact size of my food that I want to carry for four days. And so I can really narrow that down and make it exactly how I want it. I don't have to rely on somebody else who says that this is the standard size. This is the way that most people like it. I have a little bag that I sewed for my cook set that goes around the the pot. And I bet I sewed that thing five times. Sewing in a circle without it all bunching up is is definitely looked a lot easier than it ended up being. So 
I think that is the thing. You just kind of got to get after it and not be afraid to take that seam ripper and just go to town and take it back apart and put it back together again. That's the nice thing about sewing. If you catch it early, you're not going to ruin it. As long as you take your time, pay attention to what you're doing, you can catch your mistakes and, and fix them fairly simply. Yeah. And I think anybody can sew. I mean, I truly do believe that. And we've proven that many a times because many employees that we have have came in with zero sewing experience and we've taught them how to sew. So it does seem very like a daunting task, but I promise you if this dumb Marine can figure it out, anybody can figure out how to operate a sewing machine. Um, if you're looking at doing the small things like that, you know, now there's going to be times where, you know, a backpack where people are like, well, I'm never going to do that. But you know, there's a lot of companies that sell pullouts, nothing again, you know, against them. But like for me, if I want pullouts, I just make them myself. You know what I mean? Because I know the sizes I want. I, I can make even little pockets inside the pullouts, you know? And so I can kind of go crazy with it. And so small stuff like that is a good way to even save yourself money in the long run. You know, at the end of the day, you can get some fabric. Um, it doesn't have to be anything super durable either. You can get some cheaper fabric and kind of do it yourself and know that, hey, I did these myself. And I guess time is money. So for some folks, they may look at this and be like, well, I'd rather just pull, buy pullouts from a company. I don't got, you know, because my time is is precious. But for guys that maybe are looking at not just even so much the saving money aspect, but just being able to be more crafty and do things themselves and be more self-reliant. It's not a bad uh, skill to learn. It's very good skill to learn. Yeah. I think, you know, when I grew up, my grandma always fixed everything for me. Like we talked about. Yeah. And now go buy whatever you go to Walmart, buy something. I mean, that stuff's kind of junky. Yeah. Like my kids tear their stuff up all the time. They always bring it to me. And, you know, I think people think it's funny that their dad has to sew. Well, somebody has to do it. Yeah. What am I, I can either buy a new one or I can fix the one that they tore up. I think it's a, it's an important skill to, to learn just like shooting, just like medical uh, knowledge, anything. It's, it's just another tool in your, in your box that you can use um, to end up using for, for years and years to come. And like you said, save yourself a bunch of money where you're not just going out and buying the same junk over and over again. It's just falling apart. Well, to me, it's kind of like mechanicing too. Like you can change your own oil, you can do your own brakes, but maybe you don't want to put your own transmission in. Yep. Right. So, so there's different levels. Um, there's different stages you can go and only you can decide how, how deep you want to jump into that. Yep, exactly. Well, you guys definitely have came a long way in five years. I'm excited to see some of this new products that you got uh, rolling out. And I really appreciate you reaching out to the guys on Rockslide and being a resource they can lean on if they want to build their own gear. Yeah, for sure. And then anybody listening to this on Rockslide, I mean, you can always uh, shoot me a message if you have any questions, if there's specific things that you may need or you need pointed in the right direction of, of getting certain items and sourcing certain things. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out. And even if you're stuck on a uh, do-it-yourself project and you're like, you know, I just can't figure this shit out. Definitely send send me a message, man. We we make everything from backpacks, leg gaiters to bino harnesses here. So um, we, we have a vast knowledge on how things get constructed and put together. Tyler, thanks for coming on Tipsy Tuesday. If you guys have questions for Tyler Kath, you can find him on Instagram at T-N-K-Hunting. That's T-A-N-D-K-Hunting. And also on Rockslide as T and K Hunting, spelled the same way.
King K is also doing a $500 gift card giveaway on Rockslide. Simply take a look at the TNK Hunting website and comment in the thread on the Rockside forum of what you would buy with the gift card. Winner will be drawn on June 30th. Staying with the Rockcast. Robbie has Toby Batru from the Idaho Fishing Game to talk managing strategies and other Idaho-related topics. Jason Carter joins Robbie for an epic rundown of Big Big Buck. Two great mule deer killers talking about what they love. Yeah, you better give it a listen. Moving on to the Rockslide.com review articles. Travis Bertrand gives us the nitty-gritty on Yeti's newest release, the Pangoda. While Yeti is known for their coolers, they also have a much more diverse product line. The Pangoda is a puncher-resistant, waterproof duffel bag. Find out how it fared during its testing in Travis's review. Now on to the news. Big news coming out of Wyoming. The four Missouri hunters that were sued by Fred Eshelman and Iron Bar Holdings for $7.75 million in damages, alleging they trespassed while passing the airspace above a corner that met with his property and public land. Jed Sandoval ruled that the court finds that where a person corner crosses on foot within the checkerboard from public land to public land without touching the surface of private land and without damage to private property, there's no liability for trespass. Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Deputy Director Dustin Temple released this statement. Corner crossing remains unlawful in Montana, and hunters should continue to obtain permission from the adjoining landowners before crossing corners from one piece of public ground to another. Warrens will continue to report corner crossing cases to county attorneys to exercise their prosecutorial discretion. The corner crossing issue seems to be far from finished. I want to close on this story coming out of Arizona. A man was attacked and killed by a black bear while drinking coffee on the front porch of his cabin. Neighbors tried to get the bear to stop attacking him by yelling and honking car horns. The bear managed to drag the victim down an embankment before was fatally shot by a neighbor. The man died from his cumulative wounds. The reason for the attack is still undetermined but looks predatory in nature. A terrible reminder to follow all bear precautions this season because you never know when they'll flip that switch. Until next time, this has been Sam Weaver.